0: Good morning everyone. If you can get your seats quick, we'll get started. Welcome to Coffee and Convo. So we're going to have a presentation here by these amazing students that went out to Arizona to the Hopi and Navajo nations this past summer. And then you're gonna go down to the fellowship rooms on the south end of the church And there'll be coffee there, and there will be tables where you can learn about more exciting options like this that you can do. So please, when the students are speaking, give them your full attention. Turn off your devices. Give them the respect that they deserve. Um, And before I introduce them, what I'm going to do is tell you a little bit about why we are doing sst in these different forms that resulted in a trip to arizona last summer so sst is taking on a new shape a new form it's not just spending a semester abroad but it might be spending six weeks out in the navajo nation or it could be spending three weeks in guatemala and then three weeks in the u.s somewhere else and putting together all of those things. We're looking at what are the outcomes we want. We know that a global education in which you engage, you do community engaged learning, in which you learn in another culture, is absolutely good for your career, for your uh, for going to graduate school, for all of the things you want to do, and for your life skills. So we want that for everyone. So we have four courses now that you can do as a semester abroad, but you can also do in in smaller chunks along the way. But at least two of those should be ones where you're in an immersive situation. And you can follow a theme in those courses where you will um, start from the beginning and go through those together. You can also choose what kind of location you want to do. You can go abroad for a whole semester, or for three weeks, or for six weeks, or you can uh, do something in the U.S., or you can do something locally right here in Elkhart County. Mm. (laughs) Okay, so the four courses are to take a kind of introduction, language or a foundations course that's going to get you started, and they'll, they'll tell you what they did for that. A cultural perspectives course, which is like your study course, it's immersive, it's off campus somewhere a community-engaged learning class that's also immersive and off-campus in which you'll do service. And then you come back to campus and do the global issues. And these can come about in different ways. But it's the same courses that you would take if you were doing SST as a semester abroad. So yes, you can still go to China, Ecuador, Tanzania, Guatemala, no, not Guatemala, Uh, Tanzania, Senegal, Um, All of those five countries you can go to, and you can spend a semester there, but you can also do it in shorter blocks and go to places like Guatemala or London or right here in Elkhart County with a trip to Chicago or even virtually. So after convocation, after they tell us about their experience, we want you to, to get some coffee and visit these upcoming events that are coming up. So you can do immersive SST courses this year in the spring semester. You can do a virtual practicum in global health with leadership from Mennonite Central Committee which will connect you all around the world to public health programs. You can do Latino community histories right here with the Goshen Historical Society learn about oral history with Julia Skiavo Camacho. In May term you can study Youth and Resilience with Rob Brennaman in Guatemala. You can study Fictions of Empire in London with Peter Miller. You can study Ecology and Sustainability in India with Jonathan Schram. You can stay right here in Elkhart County and think about the, the different transnational groups right here and take a trip to Chicago with Philip Golner. Or you can think about environmental disaster and go work on a disaster site somewhere in the US with Brianne Brenneman. So go explore those. There's tables set up in the fellowship rooms. You can grab a flyer. You can talk to a faculty member. And you can find out uh, what that might be like for you. So please talk to your advisors about these opportunities, semester long or shorter. You can sign up for the semester long on myGC anytime. We're also having an SST informational drop-in session next Wednesday from 7 to 8 over in the connector when you can talk to students about their experience. You can also come to the SST offices which are over in Newcomer, 34 and 35. Email us at SST. If you want to talk to a student, email a global citizen ambassador at gcambassadors at goshen.edu. If you look at these prices and you say, how am I ever going to make this possible, then come talk to us because we have both external and internal scholarships available to help you cover some of those extra costs. If you're a first year student and you're Pell Grant eligible, then please email us at sst at because you, we can help you get a passport for free, so so we have a grant to help cover that. If you want to get your passport now, which what all first years should be doing, so you can be ready for these great opportunities. Okay, so I want to introduce now the group that did the, the Summer Southwest Indigenous Perspectives, SST last summer. Their leaders, David and Kendra Yoder, are with them. Other leadership that came uh, from other places we don't have with us, but they will talk about those. So I will turn it over to the group. Thank you so much. The mic. Good
1: morning, everyone. My name is Savannah Rothwalter and I'm a senior sociology major here. I'm
2: Natalie Hasbun and I'm a senior social work major. And as Jan said, we're going to be sharing about
1: our SST experience with the Navajo and Hopi indigenous communities in Arizona
2: this past summer. So leading up to this trip, we took two classes. The first one was a midterm course with David Lind called Native American Societies and Cultures, where we gathered a basic understanding of indigenous lifestyle and cultural context through readings, discussions, and presentations. And second, we took a three week long
1: class at the end of May term and into the beginning of June with an amazing Pueblo Tewa woman named Sarah Augustine. And Sarah is an indigenous rights activist who has spent a lot of time on different reservations, domestically and globally, working with communities to advance their rights and fight against injustices. And she primarily focuses on dismantling the doctrine of discovery, which you heard a bit about in Last week's combo, if you were there.
2: The next two classes were co-led by faculty Kendra Yoder and David Lind. On June 16th, we packed our bags into our Goshen minibus, minivan, and little blue car. After a 10-hour bus ride, we finally arrived in Newton, Kansas, at Faith Mennonite Church, where we spent the night. The next morning was spent at the Kauffman Museum before we took off for Colorado Springs, where we stayed at Beth L. Mennonite Church. The following day was another long drive all the way to Mesa Verde. Our bus rides included jamming out to throwback 2000 playlists, making friendship bracelets, and playing an intense game of hangman.
0: The
1: next two days we spent camping in the beautiful landscape of Mesa Verde National Park. Here we hiked around the canyons, saw the cliff dwellings of the ancestral Puebloan people and cooked our own meals in our designated meal prep groups. And a uh, shout out
2: to Team Burnt Spaghetti. Then we set up our space, where we're oh sorry. After our camping adventure, we winded around the canyons and into the Navajo Reservation, which was located in the northeast quarter of Arizona. We pulled our vehicles into the dirt driveway of Black Mountain Mennonite Church where we were greeted by the pastor, Daniel Smiley, who we would come to know very well. We also met up with former GC grad, Mary Trejo, a Navajo art teacher at Chinle High School. We set up our
1: space where we were graciously given the sanctuary. Um, So this included making beds out of the chairs in the sanctuary, which became our little pods for the week. And I'll now turn it over to Eli to talk about the cultural context of Navajo.
3: Hello, everybody. So the Navajo Nation represents the largest Native American reservation in the United States. Uh, It has a centralized government very similar to the United States government, um, which was created in the 1920s when oil was discovered on Navajo land, and the United States government demanded a central organization to negotiate oil rights with. So that's how they got their government. Um, But today it is a very unique um, government that uh, functions to oversee all of the Navajo Nation. We actually had the unique opportunity to meet the president of the Navajo Nation, uh, Jonathan Nez, while we were visiting the capital in Window Rock, which was really cool. What many people don't realize is that over half of the Navajos living on the Navajo reservation identify as Christian. Because we were based at Black Mountain Mennonite Church, that meant that most of the Navajo people that we were interacting with were Christian, to at least to some degree. So while we were at the church, they held their yearly church camp revival meeting uh, and invited us to participate. Revival meetings um, aren't specific to the Navajos. They're when Christians from all different churches uh, in a specific area gather together for a time of worship, um, usually lasting a number of days. So for us, that meant that for an extended weekend, we were all going to church every single day, multiple times a day. In those services, songs were sung almost entirely in Navajo and the speaker spoke in a mix of Navajo and English. Um, Our group attempted to sing Jesus Loves Me in Navajo at one of the services, which they all politely clapped for. And some of our more skilled musicians sang a few more times in English, which they really appreciated uh for me the most exciting part of being at black mountain mennonite church was the unique opportunity to help slaughter a sheep i don't know that we put pictures of this up which i think some of you might appreciate um it was absolutely the coolest thing that i got to do so sheep are a really large part of navajo culture um and a lot of um most navajos have a herd of sheep Um, or know somebody who does, and so one of the days we bought a sheep, and the grandmothers in church gathered around and showed us how to slaughter it and butcher it. Um, Some of us were more excited than others about this opportunity, Um, so Ben Reichenbach and I were the ones who got to hold down the sheep as its throat was slit, Uh, and then... (laughs) uh, And then we helped skin it and clean its organs. So like emptying the stomachs and the intestines. And it was very unique. (laughs) Um, Other students helped with stuff like uh, preparing the meal, cooking the meat, um, cutting vegetables, um, stuff like that. And then for lunch, we all enjoyed some very delicious mutton. So again, while not all of my fellow SST'ers would agree, getting to butcher a sheep was one of my personal favorite memories from our time in the Navajo Nation. Now I'm gonna turn it over to Willa and Haley to talk about their homestay experiences.
2: Okay,
4: so for Savannah and I, we stayed with Sammy and Lita, so that's the picture of those two women there. So Lita is 84 and a mother of eight children. Sammy is the second oldest and is the only one actively taking care of her mother, so they live together. And throughout COVID, uh, Sammy lost her job. So her main source of income is craft fairs, uh, flea markets, and making handmade custom pieces that are traditionally woven for special events. Despite this lack of income, they took us for three days and just met our every want and whim. Sammy specifically said she wanted to spoil us. So she took us out and taught us how to collect sage and Navajo tea and cedar, and then we went back to her house and she taught us how to bundle sage bundles and how to process the tea so that we could drink it and how to burn the cedar so that we would have cedar ash which is what they use as a blue colorant in some of their foods. She also taught us to make a traditional meal and taught us many different recipes watching our every move and making us do it like four times throughout our stay so that we would be able to do it ourselves Uh, Their hospitality was unrivaled. They one day drove us like three hours into the mountain just to show us this scenic overlook or drove us all the way out to Monument Valley even though it was closed just so that we could look at it. And I have never experienced anyone that would set aside that amount of time and effort for two people they don't know when they don't necessarily have the means to do that. Hello. So, as
5: we've been talking about, we had the opportunity to stay with some host families on the Navajo Reservation. I stayed with a classmate and friend, Acadia, who's not with us right now. So, at the end of the church revival meeting, we packed our things, Acadia and I specifically, threw them in the bed of a pickup truck and went off with our host mom, Raquel. She lived in a two-room house, like literally a bedroom and then a kitchen, and that was in a bathroom, but that was it. And she lived there with... One of her daughters out of seven, uh, kind of eight, she's currently pregnant, so that's fun. Um, And her daughter is around our age as a nursing student and her name was Francina. Uh, Akadi and I lived in the kitchen slash living room slash dining room on a pullout couch. And they had four dogs, two ducks, and occasionally two donkeys. When we were there, Raquel took us hiking quite often. There were mountains near her house that we rode to in the back of our host grandma's truck. Those mountains were the same ones that she used to climb as a child, and there were ruins from her ancestors there that she wanted to show us. On our second day there, we drove out to Canyon de Chez, which is a national monument. We hiked around there with Raquel, our grandma, and our sister Francina. Raquel showed us ruins in the mountains also from her ancestors. Canyon de is broken into different sections, and we got to hike into the second canyon. The trail that we took to the second canyon had a sign that stated only hikers with authorized guides allowed at the beginning. We did not have necessarily authorized guides, but we kind of figured that three Navajo women were probably the best guides that we could ask for, so we just went with it anyway. Along with this sign that we didn't technically listen to, basically stating we weren't allowed to go that way, the park was also closed, other than just looking at overlooks. So there might be a question about the legality of our hike, as we were the only ones that were inside of the canyon the whole trip. And Kendra and David were not aware that we went into it until they found us in the canyon, due to a Navajo man ratting us out but overall it's pretty worth it.
1: So after our time in Navajo came to an end, we traveled about two hours southwest to the Hopi Reservation, where we arrived at the Peace Academic Center, formerly known as the Hopi Mission School. If any of you did the chamber choir tour, you would have gone there as well. We were immediately greeted by our coordinators, Lance and Kay, and here we learned about the history and creation of the Peace Academic Center, and were shown various places around Hopi from Lance's dad, the Hopi oral historian, Eric. And he is actually the only living oral historian of the Hopi people. Eric showed us original petroglyphs and native ruins, and we even got to swim in a canyon surrounded by petroglyphs. It was gorgeous. We spent a day at the Grand Canyon, where we split up into random groups for an epic photo-taking competition, and the winning group was entitled The Proposal Photo, which is somewhere up here.
3: There it is.
2: there. The bottom right. (laughs) So the next two weeks was spent working with Hopi kids aged 5 to 14 through a math and reading camp that we had to plan and execute right then and there when we arrived. It was challenging to plan activities because the kids came from a broad range of ages and academic abilities. I'll now turn it over to Josh and Ben to talk about reading, math and reading camp.
6: So as Natalie... So as Natalie said, uh, the first of the two weeks was math slash science camp. Um, and so the general structure of these days is that each day we'd have a variety of different activities, including music, crafts, a specific like science math activity, um, a free period from to burn off energy, um, and then lunch. And so we tried to relate all of these activities in some way to math and science, as That was the theme of the week. And I'm gonna tell a story about one of the activities, which was boat building in which we gave each student a a piece of aluminum foil and we challenged them to make a boat that could hold the most wooden blocks. And so this activity actually managed to last about an hour and a half to two hours, which is pretty impressive with the uh, short attention span of small children. And so it it made me glad to see that the kids were really getting engaged with this activity um, with many of them very excitedly counting aloud as I placed each block on the boat. Um, I was glad to see them getting invested, even if that investment also meant that they would uh, accuse me of not placing the blocks fairly if their boat didn't last as long as they wanted it to. When I was a kid, science activities like this were always my favorite, and science is still one of my passions, so I enjoyed being able to connect with the campers in this way. And so overall during this week, the kids seemed to be enjoying being there, and so I counted that as a success. Some of the kids didn't attend the Peace Academic Center throughout the school year, and so we heard a remark that they liked this quote, fun school better than their normal school. And so this prompted my only worry of if the kids were actually learning anything about math or science from us. And I expressed this to Kay, one of the leaders of the school. And she told me that the most important thing was that they were enjoying their time at camp here. And if they learned something, that was just a bonus. And because of the pandemic and how hard hit the Hopi were, a lot of the children hadn't been able to see their peers in about over a year. And so Kay expressed that at that moment it was most important for them to be able to interact with each other again and to be able to have a positive experience to associate school with. And so Kay's reassurance made me feel better that we were providing these things and that the kids were uh, enjoying themselves as needed. But this conversation also ended up being a good self reflective reminder of why I was there. I realized that I was probably a bit too overfocused and stressed about doing my so-called job of trying to help the kids learn something. But the most valuable part of the SST experience is the interactions with other people throughout that experience, and not if each child left with a thorough understanding of the factors that impacted buoyancy. The interactions I was already having with the children were what really mattered, as that's what's important in a cross-cultural setting. And next, I will turn it over to Ben Reichenbach to talk about reading camp.
7: Hi, I'm Ben Reichenbach and I'm going to talk about reading camp. Uh, So I enjoy reading in math camp a lot, but as anyone who knows or who who works with kids, either here at CCYC or anywhere else knows, uh, they are so much work. Uh, And this was no different in Hopi, where these close knit communities had been cut off from interactions with one another and with outsiders by COVID. And so they were very excited to have us there to interact with them and to facilitate some stimulus that had been lacking in, over the past year. They were a very energetic group, and I definitely built up some muscles pushing these kids on the swings, which was a favorite part of free time for these kids. Uh, and they could not get enough of it, which was great for everyone and everything except for my elbows. Um, so outside of our free time activities, we worked with the kids to establish some reading skills. And to begin this process, we had each camper do a reading test so that each we could gauge the skill level of the group and of each individual. There was quite a range in the skill level of each camper, which we had been informed of to expect before beginning the camp. Some campers were above average in their reading comprehens- comprehension skills and others were far below the mark. And so to find group activities for such a range, in not only ages, ages, but also skill levels, was a difficult task. And we were very thankful to have a few education majors with us to guide that process. By the end of the week, we were thrilled that many of the campers would take time to just sit and read with us. And even books like I Spy, which are not by any means novels, were used to engage and entertain the campers while also aiding in fine-tuning those reading comprehension skills that we were there to help build. It was an eye-opening experience and is one that I hope to carry with me in the future, hopefully working with underprivileged communities such as those that we engage with at Hopi.
2: During our time on the Hopi Reservation, we organized a math Camp and reading camp for the local kids, hosted at the Peace Academic Center. I work with students by helping them with class crafts, pushing them on the swings, and playing foursquare. One day, I was sitting at lunch with the kids, and the 11, 11-year-old boy who had been interacting with a lot looked at me and said, can I ask you a question? Hesitantly, I said yes. He then asked me something that shocked me. He said, why do you walk funny? I didn't really know how to respond. I have spent my whole life having my walking status be digested by doctors, physical therapists, and other professionals and family members, but never have I had a peer comment on it, let alone a child. I ended up responding that I had a physical disability, but I didn't go into much detail. So why do I share this story with you? Because I think it brings out an interesting idea about the culture of disability and differences in the Kobe community. Reflecting on this, I asked myself some questions. What are Hopi kids taught about people with disabilities? Why did this kid, who was 11, notice it when most peers in my life haven't noticed a big difference in the way I walk? Are kids made more aware of disabilities at an earlier age than kids in the mainstream society? Why was he so willing to ask you what he did? Was he taught to speak his mind? These questions on how Hopi kids are raised in terms of what they know about disabilities, honesty, bluntness, and being open to asking questions. Along with
1: our long, hot, jam-packed days, we also had guest speakers who came and interacted with us at Hopi. Um, One of these people was named Ed Kabote, and he was a fantastic musician who came and gave an incredible presentation and sang for us. And we also had a presentation by Carl and Jay Mann, and they have a podcast called Carl and J-Man Save the World. And you guys should check it out. It's really cool. They talk about their life on the reservation.
2: So in between camp weeks, we spent a night in Utah in little yurts in a gorgeous red canyon setting where we explored and hiked and almost died. Like they say, there's always one injury on SST. And I'll turn it over to Haley to talk about this experience. Hello
5: again. I was the one who almost died. So as Natalie just stated after the math camp, on the Hopi Res, we drove to Utah for a little break. We stayed the night in Kodachrome Basin State Park, which is kind of like in Bryce Canyon, which is a national park, but we didn't get to stay in Bryce Canyon, you know what I mean? We stayed in canvas tents or yurts, as previously mentioned. Um, Behind these tents were like these giant, beautiful lasagna-looking mountains. And when we got there, we were supposed to unpack and put everything into our tents, but the boys took it upon themselves to climb the mountain first and throw rocks at us. That was not how I almost died. So after completely unpacking the cars with our stuff at least, uh, us girls also decided we would like to conquer this mountain and possibly throw rocks at the guys when they unpack their stuff. So, Me, Acadia, Willa, and one of the Yoder Lind children made our way around the mountain, thinking we found a really safe incline to climb. It was like this, it wasn't a safe incline. So I was leading the charge naturally as I do, if you know me. Um, And I made it pretty close to the top. I was literally hanging on like the last possible rock to get up before I'd be standing on top of the mountain. I thought it was pretty stable, but it wasn't. So I was kind of like, I was like, let me show you. (laughs) So I was on the mountain like this, right? Hanging by a thread called a rock. The rock breaks in my hand. So I'm like, the one thing all of my weight is on, not attached to the mountain anymore naturally, your first thought is like, oh, get rid of the rock that you're holding so that you can grab something else. I did that, except I did it right in front of my face. So I threw a rock at my forehead, essentially. And I'm not talking about like a little baby rock. Like this thing was like a foot long. It was a pretty big rock. So not my shining moment, I would say. Um I don't really remember the next parts too well as I just cut my face with a rock. All I remember is closing my eyes, screaming, swearing, and sliding down a mountain. I uh, opened my eyes once I caught myself, which again, I'll show you how I caught myself because it's kind of more fun this way. So I caught myself like this again, right? I'm like leaning on the mountain all of my might. I looked up to where I had fallen from and it was at least three or four feet. So I slid a pretty good distance. Um, I had someone behind me trying to ke- like get ready to catch me from sliding into a super sharp rock. They didn't need to, I was capable of stopping myself. So as I was like sitting there, like lying down on a mountain I just kind of like was listening to everyone panic behind me and I was like oh I'm okay I'm fine I looked down there's a pool of blood I wasn't okay or I wasn't fine so everyone else is yelling they're like someone get a first aid kit where the heck are Kendra and David we had no idea where they were Kendra wasn't around David was doing his own thing it was fantastic so naturally, because I was totally okay, I was able to climb down by myself, much to many of my peers' chagrin. They all kind of helped clean me up with someone's water bottle who was not there in the situation, so they had no idea that their water bottle was used to clean the blood. If you look on the slide, bottom left corner, this little bloody Haley right there. You can't tell because it's not big enough, but If you want to see a picture close-up, let me know. I'll show you. So basically, at the end of it, I had scars on my arms, my legs, and a nice little nick in my forehead. At the end of the day, after all of that drama happened, uh, we had a campfire. We shared some fun little stories about our time on the Navajo Res, and we slept on our tents. The next day, we went on a six-mile round-trip hike to swim in a waterfall. If you have a mild concussion or if you've ever had one, you know that that was a total mistake on my part. Like, I should not have done a six-mile hike, but it was super worth it. The water was freezing. My face was bleeding. It was probably one of the cooler things that we had done. To at all, I left my mark quite literally in Utah, and Utah also literally left its mark on me.
2: And on that note, thank you for coming and hearing about our SST experience in Arizona. We hope you consider this opportunity for part of your SST requirement. We hope to offer this SST option again in May and summer 2023 to fulfill all of your SST requirements. We'll play a short video on your way out that shows a little glimpse into our experience. Have a great day and go ahead and learn about other SST May and spring short-term options by walking around the fellowship hall where you can get some copy and visit.